screwball comedies basically started off satirizing romance films. And so it was a short step until they ended up creating their own genre, which is the romantic comedy. A genre that's always kind of been stuck in the past and pushed things forward. Like, if you think of Some Like It Hot, it was one of the first films that opened to a wide audience that also, you know, actively talked about homosexuality and cross-dressing. And, you know, looking back on these films, they're not necessarily bastions of progressiveness, but they're, they're playing with the genre and they're having a lot of fun doing it. And it's oftentimes this playfulness that allows us to move forward because it gives society permission to basically make mistakes and become better people. At their best, these antic-filled comedies that are ridiculous in their very nature force you to ask yourself the question, am I ridiculous? Do I do what these people do? And for the most part, the answer is no. You are not these people because you're not in the movie and you're not that ridiculous. No matter how many letters you get from your grandmother telling you to settle down and grow up and become a normal human being. Sorry? I don't know where that came from. That was an example. Anyway, the important thing is, generally speaking, we all have depth to us. And what this genre says is, on the surface, we're all kind of ridiculous, but there's something more going on. In this week's 1997 romantic screwball comedy, In and Out, which was written by Paul Rudnick, directed by Frank Oz, and stars Kevin Kline, Joan Cusack, Tom Selleck, Debbie Reynolds, Wilford Brimley, and a lot of others, we follow the comic misadventures of Howard Brackett, played by Kevin Kline, as he deals with being outed by a former student of his to basically the entire world. This he has to deny at first because he hasn't come out himself and he's not ready to and he doesn't know how. In fact, the entire town doesn't even know how to communicate about it. And therein lies the kind of genius of this film. Nobody knows how to communicate about anything. At least, at first. And this movie is so much fun! You have a screwball comedy set in a small town that's kind of a fish-out-of-water thing and kind of a satire, but at its heart, it's saying, hey, how do we communicate with each other? How can we be better at it? And you know what? I think it does a great job. Like us, this movie isn't always perfect, but like us, when we're at our best, it does it with the most amount of love. And that is something that we here at A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms really admire. Funny girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe this. Barbara Streisand? You had that little film festival last year. Yeah, you made us all watch all our movies. It was fun. All right. Guys, guys, uh, I'm truly offended. Don't you see, this is precisely the reason why Cameron Drake and half the civilized world think that I'm, you know, well, I don't know how this got started, but this is my goddamn bachelor party, and I am not going to goddamn watch, pardon my split infinitive, funny girl. Me neither. I hate that crap. Thank you. You got a star is born? Oh, sure. A star is born. She oh, looks well, bad in star is born. Yentl. Yentl! Yes! Yentl! I love you! I love you! 
Dudes, hombres, guys, guys, I'm sorry. I am I am truly offended. I thought I thought I knew you guys. I thought you were studs. I guess I thought wrong. I'm out of here. Hey, uh, maybe he's right. Yennel sucks. What did you say? Macho, macho man. <laughs> I wanna be a macho. Hey, uh, Ryan, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, hey, I'm, thank I'm you. gonna, I'm gonna interview you right now because I think you're the only one here. So, uh, I don't actually, really that's any... not true. Oh, really? I have brought with me today a very special guest. Oh, I don't. Who is it? She's on your computer screen right now. I was wondering what that other person was doing there. This is Hollywood actress. I mean, literally Hollywood actress, uh, Rachel Perel Foskett. Are you Woo! Rachel Perel Foskett or Rachel Foskett? It's me. What's it's your Rachel screen? I think it's Rachel Perel Foskett. Rachel Mario Mario. If, uh... <laughs> it's me, Mario. <laughs> Mario Mario. Well, uh, uh, Rachel, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This week, we have finally a movie that I haven't seen that our other two guests have seen. In and out, um, mm-hmm. Rachel. Since you're the the new one here, I uh, I kind of want to know what your first experience was with this movie. Uh, well, I can tell you like a cute little long story about it if you like. Oh, please. Yeah. Okay. Um. So this movie came out in like 1997, I think. So I was like 12, and I was in middle school, having a really hard time, and. I don't remember what exactly was going on, but you know, like puberty generally makes things like living hells for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night I was just having a really hard time and I didn't know how I was going to deal with the next day. And my mom, she said, let's go play hooky. <laughs> <laughs> and she took me out. I got my hair cut and she took me to our favorite lunch spot. And we went and we saw this magical film, and it was. And after after like this beautiful day, she was like, "So, you didn't think you were going to be able to get through today?" And not only were you able to get through today, but it just goes to show you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, mm. your mom is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's pretty cool. And and I think Ryan and I can both testify to the fact that your mom is super cool because we actually have met and your mom has been super cool to us at times as well (laughs) yeah very kind to us always now ryan i don't did you did you ever have a hard time in middle school i don't really know what rachel's talking about there (laughs) we all had hard times in middle school (laughs) was this a, a normal thing for your mom to do um like over the course of your life like kind of snatch you out of having to go to school and then like take you out for a fun day yeah, she's always kind of been not a no playing hooky wasn't a mm. thing that that was the only time we ever played hooky. But um, yeah, throughout my life, she's always when I've needed her the most, she's literally cross continents to mm. rescue me. <laughs> That's great. She's she's a mom. She's a good mom. But yeah, so this film, this is a very peculiar film. I'm really curious to see what your guys opinion of this film was for um I want to know one does it count as a romantic comedy and two what were your opinions of it kelly would you like to go first since you're the newbie i didn't really question its romantic comedy-ness 
at all at first, mainly because the first notes that you hear on the soundtrack, it's it's probably the most romantic comedy score that we've listened to so far. comedy no worries have a fun time and um gosh it it's um it kind of blew my socks off it was so much fun i told you i told you it's a fun time you uh, robin like as soon as she found out which movie you picked she was just like oh my gosh i have to watch it i want to watch it with you (laughs) because it's one of hers faves as well yeah i wasn't expecting it to be as screwball as it was and so that was that was kind of delightful because I partway through this movie, I was like, what, what's the tone that they're trying to set here? And then I just threw it all out. Cause I was like, Oh, it's, it's like part satire, part parody, part like screwball. And all of those come together to make it extremely charming. Do you, do you know how this film got made or what the origin story of this film? No, was? uh, take us to class. All right. So. <laughs> um, I think it was, oh gosh, I'm really bad at years, but I think in, was it 1993 when um, Tom Hanks won the Oscar for Philadelphia Story? You're correct. That'd be Philadelphia. Nope, not Philadelphia <laughs> Story, Philadelphia. No, that Phil- would be oh, really shoot, impressive. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just kidding, Catherine Hepburn, sorry. So yeah, okay, so uh, <laughs> it's like considered one of the best acceptance speeches of all Oscar, Oscar history. And uh, in the speech, he credits his... Um, high school I think high school drama teacher as being um, the reason to his success as an actor and then says and he's gay and I have that in uh, a lover that is so close to fine we should all be able to experience such heaven right here on earth I know also that um, I should not be doing this I should not be here but I am because of the union of such filmmakers as Ed Saxon Ron Nicewanner, Christy Z, Attack Fujimoto, uh, Jonathan Demi, who, who seems to have these attached to his limbs with, for every actor that, that works with him of late. And a cast that includes Antonio Banderas, who, who second to my lover is the only person I would trade for. <laughs> and a cast that includes many other people, but the actor who really put his film image at risk and shown because of his integrity, Mr. Denzel Washington, who I really must share this with. I would not be standing here if it weren't for two very important men in my life, so two that I haven't spoken with in a while, but I had the pleasure of just the other evening, Mr. Raleigh Farnsworth, was my high school drama teacher who taught me that act well the part, there all the glory lies. And one of my classmates under Mr. Farnsworth, Mr. John Gilkerson. I mention their names because they are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men that I had the good fortune to be associated with, to fall under their inspiration at such a young age. I wish my babies could have the same sort of teacher, the same sort of friends. And there lies my dilemma here tonight. I know that my work 
And this case is magnified by the fact that the streets of heaven are too crowded with angels. We know their names. They number a thousand for each one of the red ribbons that we wear here tonight. They finally rest in the warm embrace of the gracious creator of us all, a healing embrace that cools their fevers, that clears their skin, and allows their eyes to see the simple, self-evident, common sense truth that is made manifest by the benevolent creator of us all and was written down on paper by wise men, tolerant men, in the city of Philadelphia 200 years ago. God bless you all. God have mercy on us all, and God bless America. And it, it turned into this beautiful uh, thing afterwards. Like, um, there's a lot of stories with the, uh, the drama teacher's name. It is something, something Farnsworth. But, um, like, really beautiful things came out of that. But Scott Rudin, the producer of In-N-Out, was watching the Oscars and thought, what if the act like what if the professor wasn't cool with that like what if what would happen to somebody that hadn't come out yet as gay in the mid or early 90s who maybe lived in a small town right what would be the repercussions and what could be the repercussions and so he um went to paul rudnick and was like, can you write this for me? <laughs> and then that's what happened. That's a kind of a sell in the room kind of pitch right there, um, especially during the time period, I'm sure. But it's crazy because it's like an out. It's an outing story um, where a character kind of gets outed and they don't like they kind of show how that makes his life hard. But they don't really talk too much about it because they they stay on a level of kind of happy superficial like romantic comedy just a little bit that yeah it doesn't ever go broke back mountain it just stays in whatever comedy happy place there is it doesn't really get deep into the actual politics I, of outing yeah except this is another interesting thing when they're advertising the film they didn't advertise uh kevin klein's um character as actually a a, a gay man so they said, what would happen if somebody came and accused somebody of being gay? What would be the repercussions of that? So everybody in the theater was like, when they went and saw the movie, they're like, oh, this is going to be really funny. How is he going to deal with this situation? And then, you know, midway through, spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. Go watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> in the 90s. No, we spoiled um, <laughs> um, He's like, I, I am gay. And apparently in test audiences and everywhere, it was just like, everybody was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's not allowed you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't do that in a romantic comedy so that was, that was okay cool too so that actually that wasn't my reaction the first time watching this movie but i my reaction the first time was and my expectation of the film and this is probably because i watched the trailer way back in the day um when you know they were advertising like the video cassette coming out or something that I thought it was just like a sitcom plot because this is like every other episode of Friends where like Chandler, like people think Chandler's gay and he's like, oh, I got to clear this up again. I'm not though. And that's like a constant trope that was like a 90s thing. It was like, wouldn't that be funny if someone thought someone else was gay? Ha ha ha. Um, mm -hmm. And so the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, so this is like 
a comedy about Kevin Klein having to deal with this and clarify things. And in the end, he'll eventually clear it up that he's not gay. And I was genuinely surprised that by the time they got to the tape and he's dancing, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. oh, he oh my is God. gay. <laughs> Truly manly men do not dance. Oh, come on. So, Rachel, you watched this movie in middle school. Ryan, when was your first time? I think I watched it because Rachel told me to go watch it a few years ago. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, and I can't remember oh. what, but I was like looking for recommendations. I can't remember the situation, but I'm pretty sure it was like on Netflix or something. I was like, hey, should I watch this, this, or this? And I think, Rachel, you commented like, go watch In and Out. It's really good. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so the first time I watched it, it like, I I was not expecting the end. And it was like, oh, that was a nice comedy. I didn't catch what it was really doing because my expectations were, oh, this is a comic misadventure movie. And then this time watching it, and it's like, no, no, it's a satire. It's it's way smarter. There's way more going on here. And like, I just love the first 10 minutes where his parents coming over and they're like, you have something to say. <laughs> and you can just like the whole thing of every person in that room is in denial. Like right. his fiance is in denial. His parents are in denial. He's deeply in denial. And it's just like, mm. they know it. They all know it. And it's just acknowledged. And that's all that stuff. I completely missed the first time watching it. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah Cause the first time watching, I was just like, Oh boy, this uh, misunderstanding. How are they going to clear it up? But now it's just like, no, no, he's got to confront his sexuality. And here we are. Let's get, let's get into this. So I loved it the second time through. Nice. Well, speaking of getting into it, hey, Ryan, can you tell me the story? Can, can you tell us the story? Sorry. Just so not used to having a guest here. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, you probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. So you got um, you got Kevin Klein, lovely uh, poetry teacher. Who is a nice little bow tie? Fantastic in this movie. Can we just like lay that on the we line? We need more Kevin we Klein need movies. More like every movie needs a little bit of Kevin Klein. I know. Rachel, have you seen Soap Dish? Which one's that about again? Is it the the Friends? It's early '90s and it's about soap opera actors, and it's like this <gasps> meta soap opera movie, and it's. Kevin Klein, I think Sally Field, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s in it too, like early 90s Robert Downey Jr. Um, that makes me wonder that, you know, the lady who was like, I hope Sally Fields wins. And <laughs> that was great. Like, I'm wondering if like that was like, hey, um, it was a different actor and Kevin Klein's like, hey, can we can we just put Sally Field? Be Sally Field. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would be, I can't wait to watch that. I feel like I've seen like searching on IMDb and like seeing it and be like, oh, I, that definitely looks like a film for me. But no, I haven't yeah. seen it. I'm sure it'll be a movie that we'll run into on the pod soon. Uh, so Kevin Klein, uh, English teacher at the high school, um, admired by his students, is going to get married finally after three years. And Kevin Klein says, you know, it's really happening because his star student is now going to the Oscars. And everyone is excited for the hometown hero who's, you know, young Oscar nominee. So at the awards ceremony, lo and behold, this young Indiana man, uh, this Hoosier, 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 Hoosier. W- wins. 
<laughs> and I love the uh, I love the dramatic. Uh, what is it like the clips from the fake movie? Oh my gosh! And also longest Oscar intro for an actor ever. <laughs> it's just oh. so ridiculous. Uh, so it's the the guy is played by Matt Dillon, the the special uh, guy, uh, the hometown hero, wins the Oscar and does the Tom Hanks thing and outs his uh, Kevin Klein teacher man and uh, comic misadventures or are they in Sue? <laughs> to the shock of the town but then it's adorable how much the town is like but you are very gay <laughs> like, <laughs> but they love it like everything that is like um what is that like is it uh what is the word for it when you're like pointing something out like way too obvious like Oh yeah. Oh, like hanging a lampshade on it. Kinda? Yeah. 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 And they're like, but those are all the things that we love about you. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just love that student. He's like, yeah, no, it makes total sense. Like you're this really nice, decent person. And <laughs> obviously <laughs> you're gay. <laughs> obviously he would yeah. think you're gay. And I like that, like that student, he's such a doofus. And he says like a bunch of like not nice things kind of wrapped up in a really nice sandwich where he's like, Mr. Brackett, Mr. Brackett. Mike? Well, I've been thinking about it all night. Why would that guy say you were gay? And I got it figured out. I got it. What have you got? <laughs> Look at you. I beg your pardon? I mean, no offense, but you're an English teacher. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, all this poetry and odes and bonnets. Sonnets? And you're kind of prissy. Prissy? Well, not in a bad way. I'm, I mean, like, you're smart and well-dressed. And really clean. Doesn't look good. And plus, you got the drama club, and you ride that bicycle. <laughs> You've been engaged to Miss Montgomery for, like, three years? What, what does that have to... I mean, think about it. If you add it up, of course the guy thinks you're gay. Oh, oh, oh! And plus, he was in that movie. So his brain is like already going that way. And then he remembers you and he goes smart, clean, totally decent human being. Gay. Dude, I mean, it's cool. I'm going to like really lean into stereotypes here. But I mean, you're, you're super nice, which is like, you know, gay. <laughs> um, also, let's let's. Um, Frank Oz directed this. Frank Oz of What About Bob, Muppets. Um... I want to, oh, I should tell you a fun fact about that. The reason that they got Debbie Reynolds to be the mother was a favor to Frank Oz because he worked with her daughter so often. They were good friends. Oh, uh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Of course. I was kind of sad that Carrie Fisher didn't show up for a second. I like I thought that would have been perfect. That would have been fun. Yeah. Along with him, um, who's the writer again? Uh, Paul Rudnick. Paul Rudnick. He wrote Sister Act and Adam's Family, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And I then we also have Whoopi coming in and doing like a quick cameo <laughs> here. And she, like, I kind of looked up Whoopi's IMDb because I'm like, you know, how did they get, how did they get Whoopi just to like come drop in in this movie? I mean, she basically finished up Star Trek and like her run of amazing movies in the late 80s, early 90s. And then all of a sudden, Whoopi's in like 20 things a year. They're just all bit parts for like seven or eight years. She's like on ABC Family. She's like doing a Disney Channel thing, like left and right. And then Glenn Close, who else was in this movie that was just like there for a bit part? 
You know, uh, I forget what her name is. The girl. Jay Leno. I'm, yeah, Jay Leno. Uh, I swear, <laughs> I might be wrong about this. Uh, Cruel Intentions, not Sarah Michelle. Selma Blair. Selma yeah. Blair is Selma in this Blair, movie. Yeah. She's she's an extra in it. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. for a second. It was crazy. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing here, Selma Blair? Just like you're walking down the aisle, and you're like, she just kind of like makes a like a she pops in behind Debbie Reynolds, like making yeah. a face. I'm like, is that Selma Blair? Selma Blair. How cool was it to see Debbie Reynolds dance, even if it was just like basic dancing at a wedding? But she starts leading a conga at one point in time, and I'm just like, yes. Yes, this is like as close to singing in the rain as I'm getting right now. It's happening. <laughs> so it's <cool>. happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so wonderful. And it's such a, like this cast feels so, it just gels, right? Like everyone, everyone, it's just, they're appropriate for this movie, right? Like I wouldn't have any other woman than Debbie Reynolds yeah. play his mom. She it's just perfect. The mom. She, uh, and Wilford Brimley, like who's the most Indiana looking man in Hollywood? It's Wilford Brimley. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Blammo. When they lived here, they were not active in the PTA. Used to mow our lawn. Never again. Though the one person that I I I wasn't quite on board with yet. Okay, Tom Selleck shows up. Without a I must- love Tom Selleck. No, g- give Come me on. just give me just a second. Okay. Describe my face. Tom's- Describe my face. <laughs> uh, your beaker your beaker when beaker's upset. <laughs> and excited. Just perfect for a Frank Osmond. <laughs> um he shows up sans mustache, so immediately I was like, what's going oh, on? Oh, that Tom? was a perfect misdirect. I was like, are you okay, perfect Tom? Um, but he he starts off like in this kind of slightly like sarcastic. Like, it, it feels like Tom Selleck playing against type for just just a second. And I'm like, ooh, what are you? And I was like, oh, no, you're perfect for this role. Like 10 seconds into that first interview that we see him like at with Whoopi Goldberg, I was like, uh no you're perfect you're perfect like usual i don't know why i doubted you for a second <laughs> just a man's but, man uh, yeah you're right it is confusing yeah. isn't it because you're like why is the man's man like being kind of a sleazy like tv reporter like what's happening what is happening and, and i think he's the perfect person to put in the shoes of somebody who is like hey it's okay to come out like it you know this is how i did it and like that's the person you want speaking to 1990s macho dudes is mm-hmm. Tom Selleck and be like, hey, guys, it's it's OK. Stop freaking out so much. You couldn't possibly understand what this is like. Howard, I'm gay. You're what? I'm gay. I came out. To whom? Ooh, to everyone. My folks, my boss, my dog. It's OK. Tom Selleck says it's OK. He sacrificed his mustache. <laughs> he did yeah. he cut it off in a ceremony it was so sad i loved the line you are pure television thank you <laughs> thank you thank you i love it um so rachel i want to talk about uh your perspective on the film professionally um we know rachel have known rachel for years because she was in a couple of our films she was in our short film mr right and she was in our film, feature film, Emily, which you can check out on Amazon Prime Video for free um, as our lead actress. And now she's in Hollywood, Los Angeles, doing uh, indie films like A24's Lean on Pete. And she was in Midway. Um, and she does, you're in, you've got a bunch of new television episodes coming out, right? Like you've got, you've got, what do you have? You have something coming out. Oh, like a ton, like this one episode of 901. <laughs> but I'm Still, sure much, like great. there's going to be more. Um 
yeah. and Midway, you know, like a tiny little indie film. Just <laughs> teeny whatever. tiny it's little like Roland Emmerich film. Yeah. One of his indies. It, I think it uh, was. Actually, I think it was. I think it was like one of the biggest actual independent productions. Yes. That Lionsgate picked up. Ryan, so yeah, it Ryan, was. Ryan, what was your question? Oh. Oh my. Qu- <laughs> my question is. So that's 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 her biography. I'm just throwing it out there to okay. our audience. But how do you like when you're you're watching other people work in movies because you're 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 an actress. So you're you're like Kelly and I are watching the writing and a directing of the film of like mm, that's not what I would do or mm, interesting that they did that. What did you see in the performances in this movie that you thought was like interesting or like different or like what's your first reaction to the performances in the film? Um, it, I, I'm so glad that I got to rewatch this film because um, a lot of times when there's like over the top acting, uh, it, ta- it will take me out and all of a sudden I start looking at... Um, as an actor, you think about, okay, what are we shooting on the day? So, like, they must have shot all of these scenes from, like, uh, in the school, like, all in one day. And how would all that have been? And, like, yeah. all of those kind of things. And it, um, what I was pleasantly surprising about this film was that it did not allow me the time to have those thoughts. There was so much dialogue brilliant dialogue and the acting even if it was over the top it was like it it I didn't have time to get distracted by it and and so the Mm -hmm. entire time I'm just enjoying the story of this film that's I mean that's didn't Joan Cusack like get nominated or have an Oscar nod for this I think that she did uh let me fact check but she is so good um, and I think that's one of the things that I, I think this is one of my favorite films. Gosh, I hope you guys like this film. <laughs> I hope your critique is good. <laughs> um, just because as an actor, I it didn't allow me the time to think like an actor. Instead, like I, even watching it for a second time and a third time, I still crack up at the jokes. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. so many good one liners from here. Like, and and I think that's part and parcel to the fact that this movie satirizes everything. Yes. Like it's small town. Like it's it, even like in in the uh, Oscar role when we're watching um, bits and parts of Matt Dillon's movie. He at, at one point in time you have the line. And finally, an autographed copy of Beaches, starring Bette Midler. Give that back. Discharge, dishonorable. They're kicking him out. That's not fair. I mean, he killed people. Um, I mean, he killed people, and it's like taking <laughs> it's taking out the government, and it's just like, like, hey, yeah, I mean, he's. He killed people in war. Doesn't that make him like super, super worthy? And then at the end, he does that like Saving Private Ryan thing, which precedes Saving Private Ryan by like a year or so. But he's like, am I still a good American? Danny, I just don't know. Did I do the right thing? Ask him. Well, Mr. President, am I still a good American? 
statue, Billy. And it's just like so irreverent in all its lines. And I think you're right. It never, it never, you know, I, I always bring up um, bad Apatow as like actors who are being way over the top. Did you say bad Apatow? Yeah. He thinks there's some bad Apatow for some reason. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Um, I, I just think that there's some characters in films who go a little bit over the top in a way where they're like, I want you to pay attention to how ridiculous I'm being, but I'm not embodying a character right now. And this movie, very much unlike a movie we watched a couple weeks ago with um, They Came Together, this movie has outlandish characters, but they all embody this world that we're living in. We've we've crafted this ridiculous world. Thus, the characters being ridiculous don't stand out. It's exaggerations of people. It's it's still people, yeah. but it's the exaggerated version. You start with the person and then you exaggerate it and you just bring it up and you just turn the volume up on everything they're doing. Whereas they came together, you started with like types or archetypes, but you never made them people on screen. And so it yeah. never played yeah uh and rachel you're correct joan cusack's nominated for an oscar which is very very rare you get comedic performances oscar nominated yeah Yeah. very cool and the other thing about this uh i think when you say that ryan did you guys feel this okay when the movie starts did it immediately make you feel like you were back in the 90s about to watch like Adam's Family Values or Sister Act. Like the way that everything panned and the music started and everything yes. that happened, I was like, oh, I'm, this is, I, I'm getting, I'm being magically put into this world. I can feel it. I can feel myself like mm-hmm. getting pulled in right now. And it was like mm-hmm. from that moment, um, it, it was, yeah, you just kind of, even though the the reality of the, the life of the characters was, uh, very imaginative i don't think a lot of small town people are going to be um i don't think people in general are that loving like even oh no oh bob newhart bob newhart yeah yeah even Uh the bad guy of this film is so lovable i i love i love at the end where uh, after um they he gets the oscar and bob newhart raises up his arm like he's just like yeah won a medal of something and he's like right i was being like super homophobic to you right before but i'm also bob newhart and i respect awards and you so here <laughs> and the hug or, he gives oh, him oh i know and he just like backs off afterwards <laughs> um what about the guys um speaking of like small town lovability all of Kevin Klein's friends that throw him his his oh, Barbra so Streisand themed bachelor party, which is so solid. I love that part so much because that's another thing of like, what if you are a very weird, quirky individual um, who made an entire men's group? You guys just raised your hand. This is you. You guys oh. make people watch Barbra Streisand films. <laughs> Oh, I yes. well, we hands. make we make our friends watch rom coms, and yeah, we get I mean, this is we kind get of who we are. Oh. Oh. we're we're one we're one degree away <laughs> from just being a Barbara Streisand podcast, anyways. So I love that, and I think that's great. And uh, I love how instead of them being like, "Yeah, that is kind of uh, you know," very, we're very conservative, and and I'm not sure if we agree with this. They're like, "We 
you convinced us. We are also huge mm-hmm. fans of Barbra Streisand. <laughs> like, that's what we want to do on a stag night is watch Barbra Streisand's films. We've been working on this for weeks, oh, man. Yeah. And we got all your favorites. Stop everything you want. Hit me. What are we talking about here? Triple X, uh, Little Oral Annie, Tracy Lords. Lay some adult video on me. We got it. Uncut Bonnie Girl! <laughs> Funny Girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe this. Barbara Streisand? You had that little film festival last year. Yeah, you made us all watch all our movies. It was fun. All oh, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, so good. it doesn't sound the worst. <laughs> I know. So, um, Rachel, one of your other favorite movies, as you've told us before, was... Um, I- I think I'm correct in assuming this is one of your favorite movies, but the um, Tu Tu Wang Fu, Tu Wang Fu. You know exactly where I was going. Tu Wang Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, Um, which is about. I don't even know how to describe that movie because I haven't seen it. So describe that movie. You know that's really sweet. That we're. uh, It's another '90s film. I I know that this is probably this podcast is going to um, go up later, but as we're recording this, I think it was Robin Williams' birthday yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and he has a very adorable cameo in Tu Wong Fu. Tu Wong Fu is a it's a story about a group, uh, three young drag queens um, are in a drag queen competition, and two of them tie and win. And they meet the third and decide to help her um, become the drag queen that she wants to be, and they invite her to come along with them on a road trip to, I think it's like the nationals or like the next up of the competition and their car breaks down in a very, very scary, maybe small town, like maybe total of like 50 people, all very potentially dangerous uh, in the South. (laughs) What, what, what genre is this? It's a rom-com. Oh, it's a, oh, so it's, <laughs> it's lighthearted though. It's light, yeah. And so what happens is that they kind of, with their with their magical powers, they help heal this small town and they make <sighs> it beautiful. And I mean, spoiler alert, but they there's there's abuse and stuff like that, and they just kind of act like three superheroes and protect the town. And it's cute. A very sweet story and it's yeah now patrick i want to make swayze, this a double feature yeah. patrick swayze wesley snipes and um john leguizamo, Legu- john leguizamo. Wow. yes and when i first watched it as a little girl i thought that john was i didn't understand drag queen um what i didn't really understand it even though they explain it in the film and i thought that john was the most beautiful woman <laughs> <laughs> i was like that woman is beautiful and my mom was like that's a man i was like she's a beautiful man woman exactly um so it's it seems like um for you rachel some of your favorite movies are about like men embracing a feminine idea or just something that's going against a hetero like like in and out is all about like hey it's cool if you're into barbara streisand and you're gay and you're in indiana and you're a guy and it's like it's cool and it seems like a movie like to wong fu is the same kind of thing of like hey like embrace this kind of stuff this is this is great um i'm curious like where that stemmed from you want to know not where it stems from not like a freudian like why are you into that but it seems like that's that's 
what some of your favorites? Well, to get a little deep, um, yeah, I can tell you if you if you I I think I know where it comes from. Um, uh, somber moment. I don't know how we should introduce that with like sound effects or anything like that. But um, uh, when I'll, I was I'll find li- something. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, when I was little, uh, really little, um, my mom and my dad were going through some issues, and one day uh, my uncle came over with a friend, and uh, I noticed that this friend started, you know, hugging, touching, being very physical with my mom, and it freaked me out. And I ended up having like this giant temper tantrum. And my uncle and the friend actually ended up having to leave. And when I, uh, my mom finally got me to calm down. She's like, what's wrong? And I said, you're going to leave daddy for that man. And she's like, no, 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 no. That man's gay. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a gay man. And I was like, and she had to explain that, explain that to me. And so I think from like a, like at, four or five years old, what imprinted in me was that one, men could be affectionate with women and it didn't mean that. And two, that it meant that my mom and dad weren't going to separate, which is very like, it had some sort of like an imprint on me. And then when I was growing Hmm. up, we grew up, I grew up in a a, kind of a small town in Washington (laughs) that, and I'm sorry, saying this but it, it was a little racist and a little homophobic um and i grew up in spokane that's fine okay okay yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and uh in the 90s especially when the word you know gay was a you know an insult that you could throw at people and you know watching people that were gay kind of have to hide from that um to me with this sort of like childhood imprint of um gay meaning a very good thing a very happy and healthy thing. It felt whenever I would watch uh, movies that were like this, where it it showed um, the LGBTQ community in like a hero position, I always kind of gravitated to that. Awesome. So I always felt safe watching them. Yeah, and this that's that a hey, that's a great thank you story. for sharing okay. because that, that was beautiful. Story. Thank you. Um, and this movie, I feel like, is nothing if not like teaching teaching those who need to know about how to be a little bit more how how not to be respectful and then how to be respectful. Yeah. Um. Of of just like I don't know, giving somebody space to be different within a community that is very strictly one way. Like mm-hmm. this small town is not. I would say not the worst small town to come out in. Yeah. Um, yeah beautiful. But there is something kind of safe about this movie. Like it's kind of, and that's kind of why we watch rom-coms in the first place is that they are safe and that they're escapist and they're kind of a little indulgent of, it's not a huge struggle for Kevin Klein to get his parents to be okay with, with it. And it's just kind of like, a day passes, they're like, ah, it's cool. My son's gay. Mm-hmm. I love him. As long as I can have a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. And um, there's something kind of like convenient about that, whereas that's probably not everyone's story. Um, mm-hmm. But that's why we watch the rom-coms. If we wanted to have a, a, a struggle about it, a harder story about it, we would watch something like Philadelphia, which does 
get into more traumatic, deeper things that deal with like, you know, really horrendous societal things that were happening. But in and out is kind of like, I don't want to deal with all that garbage. I just want to deal with something nice about it. And this is why we go to it in the first place is that we need a hug. Sometimes we just need to yeah. feel warm about it sometimes. Hey, Ryan, where, um, which was your first, um, movie that had a, a central gay character based in the rom-com genre? Um, I was trying to think about that and I, I can't, I, I don't know off the top of my head. What, what are some of yours? Like, give me, give me, give me some films and maybe I could be like, oh yeah, yeah, that one, that one. Oh, for me, it was the birdcage. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. My, what, my, how old were you when you watched the birdcage? Let's see. I think it was still when I was living in California. So... 90 no it would have been when i came down to visit my grandparents so probably like 99 or something like that well can i pause you really quick and just say the night you and i watched the birdcage together at our apartment in portland several years ago still is one of one of the you and i have watched hundreds of films together but that is probably one of the top 10 films in my memory of movies we've experienced together and just had the best time ever Rachel, was Rachel, watching this is probably oh, like awesome. a couple of weeks before we met you and we just oh no yeah we basically <laughs> got super we we got we ordered a pizza got super wasted and watched the birdcage together and it was it was it's definitely one of my favorite a good nights time. of all time yeah such a good time <laughs> oh i love that you know we watched uh Matt and I, the the I think it was a few days before, a few days after he proposed to me, we saw the Keja Fo uh, on mm. on Off Broadway in New York, and I was that yeah, was Robin Williams. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. That's, I, I wanted to bring it back around he's to that at present. some point. <laughs> he's still he's still he's still with us in so many ways. <laughs> I I will say it's um, growing up in the '90s in my at first being in Salem, Oregon, and then Sammamish. Like, especially as a child and, you know, we were part of the Presbyterian church. So there was never strict stuff in our household of anything homophobic or anything against it. But there still was like a cultural thing of like, I knew as a kid somehow, and I, I was never, it wasn't like my parents sat me down and explained things to me. But I knew as a kid when Lion King came out and Elton John did the soundtrack that there was something just slightly taboo about Elton John. <gasps> Like, I just oh. knew as a kid that there was just something like somehow in my radar. And it took oh. me, and again, it wasn't like my parents said anything, but there was just something about my childhood where I knew that. And I'm trying to think of where did it come into my world where it's like, no, not taboo. Okay, nothing weird, nothing, nothing bad. It's fine. But there was just something in my world, and I'm trying to figure out and maybe it was just a slow adjustment away from the more conservative area I must have been in that it was like, "Hmm, it's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) That's really interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. I think the really like taboo thing was like, again, like there was a scale in in the household I grew up with, like Michael Jackson should not be listened to. Like this was early nineties when all those like allegations against him, you know, pedophilia and all that stuff was like, it's it's wrong to listen to Michael Jackson. And somehow in my head as a kid, there was this scale of like from Michael Jackson to Elton John was like the most, somehow that connotation came into my head. 
that mm. it was it was similar enough and like elton john was safe and fine and it's okay whereas michael jackson was don't listen to him he's bad and it's dangerous um yeah I don't 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 stop till you get enough gosh it's gonna ruin you for sure I, and i again <laughs> i don't know where i can't pinpoint the source but i think that was there was some kind of 90s focus on the family culture that created this like fear well, and we see that a little bit in this movie um, with the Bob Newhart character, especially because um, Kevin Klein, once he does officially um, come out to the town, he's fired from his job, which, you know, we've seen in um, this is the second movie in our, our string of movies that we've reviewed where somebody um, is either fired or not given a job because they're gay. Um, and then then Bob Newhart's. <laughs> Like, like, well, you know, we don't, we don't want, you know, he basically comes out and says, we don't want your kind to teach at our school and be around kids. We don't serve their kind here. It doesn't go the route that so many like, like 1990s specials went where it's like, well, sorry, you can't teach here because we're worried about you hitting on kids, but Mm -hmm. it toes that line. And I was like, Bob Newhart, don't. Don't Bob Newhart like you're but you are he was saying like you're going to that's the I am Spartacus moment where he's like but you're gay and that's going to infect the kids and what do you what do you guys think about what that because I'm whenever I watch this movie that is the one point where I'm like oh I wonder why they chose to do this yeah Um, where everybody like stands up like first the kid stands up and like I'm gay I'm gay I'm gay I'm gay Uh oh you know what that means (laughs) i think it's well-intentioned tone deafness a little bit Mm. um because i mean it's it's something where it's like an entire town is trying to say we accept you and um we accept you so much that we're willing to take on the ire of anybody who thinks that you are bad for being who you are or that they don't like we're, they're trying to say we accept you for who you are, but they're doing it. It, it did feel like. You know what's interesting though, it happens in Tu Wong Fu as well. Does it? Yeah, and I was really curious, but because it basically uh, spoiler alert for people who are watching. Wait, should I spoil Tu Wong Fu? Mm. Is that... Um, I won't. It's gonna be on our I, list. I, yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I just thought it's an interesting thing that both films um take on that. And I, I, I really like. I wish I could just get Paul Rudnick up here and have him explain <laughs> that writing process because it, it was. It's really interesting that it, it's something that repeats itself in these sorts of romantic comedies, and um, and it. I felt when I first saw, it, I was like, oh, it's a little tone deaf. Like, yeah, that's the thing that they're worried about. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? But um, there, there is something. About about it that is I wish I could I wish I could define it well I think when when you're I mean I in my mind I immediately thought of a character like like in in a movie like the jerk maybe they would have done something like this now imagine if this was done with a character who was um who a town was prejudiced against because of their race and imagine that same exact action being taken where like, let's say this, 
I don't know, this character was a particular race that wasn't welcome in this town. And then everybody stood up and they're like, well, I'm X or I'm X and how tone deaf that would feel. I think it, I think it kind of lives on a similar level, but I think you can forgive the nineties for not knowing how to do what they were trying to do, even since they were like, it's obviously well-intentioned, I guess. Well, why I ask about Paul Rudnick is because Paul Rudnick was openly gay at the time. So it, it is an interesting, it's an interest. Yeah, that's how I felt too. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't just say I was, uh, I had this skin tone to like, you know, but I would, I, I don't know if, if somebody was saying um, this is who I am and people are saying that, that that's bad um, for me to say if you're going to call them a bad you know, a bad word, you're going to pick on them, you might as well pick on me. Exactly. And I think it's very small town. And that's, that's the point in time where I'm like, well, I believe this world. I believe in this world, this is what these people would do because nobody knows how to talk about it in this town. Like Mm -hmm. this movie's all about communication and it's only Tom Selleck who's like, hey, look, you're gay. We can just have an open, frank conversation about it. Whereas he can't have like an open, frank conversation about it with anybody in the town because nobody knows how to have a conversation about it. Even though everybody's like, everybody seems to like the mom's like, it's fine. Talk to me about being gay if you're gay. And then that student does it. He just does it really awkwardly. And I think it's that awkwardness that um, Rudnick's like kind of infusing that scene with. He's like, hey, they're not perfect, but they're trying really hard. You know, that's interesting. You know how it uh, how it kind of felt like to me was that um, everybody before they said, and I'm gay, like when it first started happening, um, like the kid was like, this teacher helped me. He taught me. Mm-hmm. He got me into college. So that's what, that is what, got spread onto me and then like the stylist being like yes he shares my exquisite taste and uh the fire brigade that were like this man is always he is he has always helped us he is he is representative of what we identify with as uh you know a helping rescue service so yeah that kind of motivated us and that got spread onto us and I think that's maybe that's like the very silly, sappy message of the entire town saying like this man, whatever it was that he spread, if everybody's afraid of this person spreading something, um, it, was goodness. it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't what people are thinking. It was, he made this town, um, he's making this town a much better place for being in it. Uh, it did remind me of some kind of political things that have come up in the past few years, especially in the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. And Mm -hmm. the first point I thought of was, I think there was like a Newsweek or a Time cover that said Obama, the first gay president. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? No. (laughs) But I remember seeing a cover like that. I was like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) Um, but the the story was like because he's advocating for all these gay rights issues and that there was gay marriage that it was under Obama's presidency that the federal court decision happened. Am I, that's correct, right? Am I, yeah. 2014? Yeah. Is that 2014? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. And I think that was their point is like 
that happened under Obama and that, you know, he, whatever he did as a president got us there. But I remember seeing the covers like, wait, what? <laughs> and it was it, just, what? <laughs> it was just trying to make that point. Um, and the second thing was, I noticed in the past few years when Trump became president and everyone got really worried, far more worried about minorities because of, you know, policies coming from the White House that were targeting um, different, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, Muslims or homosexuals or whatever, just minorities were suddenly in far more danger again. Um, and I remember seeing this kind of social media thing of like, when you're describing yourself, take on the mantle of all these different things so that, you know, people don't get targeted that, you know, add, add Muslim to your, your Facebook profile, add that you're gay on your Facebook profile and make it like, there was this kind of thing where it's like, there's this solidarity thing where it's like, everyone should just start identifying as these minority things so that they can't be targeted. Cause we're all, we're all humans in this together. So I understood like the strategy of like, and that's kind of the strategy going on in this movie is like, it doesn't matter if someone is a, a minority, we're all humans. So don't target them for this one thing that makes them special or different because at the end of the day, we're all fellow human beings. We're all brothers and sisters. So why, why would you do that? We're all the same at the end of the day. So I understood kind of the politics that it was getting at, but I don't think it was necessarily accurate in a way, but it, it still got the job done. Mm-hmm. That uh, Yeah. You know, actually, I, I do have to confess something. I did something kind of like this once in college. Um, it was it was the census in 2010. Um, and Peter and I became, he was my roommate at the time, Ryan, you know, Peter, um, we, we became domestic partners, um, just to bump up the numbers, uh, in Washington because they were trying to like get the vote at the time. Um, so, I mean, (laughs) it was, that's really beautiful. (laughs) I think, I think we're still (laughs) technically, I mean, we're, I mean, we're technically, I, I guess 2020 is going to erase that because, you know, we're no longer registered and I'm married, but, you know, <laughs> legal, um, maybe not. I don't know, but uh, okay, we were... it was, sorry, it was Newsweek. I Googled oh. it. It was Newsweek in two, 2012. Good job, Newsweek. <laughs> He's he, first gay president by Andrew Sullivan is the story and he has a rainbow halo above his head. That's, that's so awesome. that's something. Um, I read Roger Ebert's review of that of in and out and he said he didn't like the ending because it felt too long and it felt too hokey and it felt very capra-esque too 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 much of like a capra movie okay i hate i hate okay i I love me some roger ebert but he comes at capra way too hard because frank capra is dark and everybody it's like when spielberg they say like spielberg's so sappy and it's like spielberg does sappy moments sometimes but he's real too and I think Capra's very dark and nobody gives him credit for it. He is dark. People, m- many of his movies are about suicidal protagonists. So, yeah. Oh. But uh, I did, I, I think it's not a bad thing to compare this to a Capra-esque thing because in the 1930s and 40s, Capra's talking about like, we're all in this together politically. Like, um Mr. Smith uh, goes to Washington. It's he did, and he did. It's a Wonderful Life, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like we champion the everyman who defends, you know, liberty and justice. And I feel like in the '90s, the version would be we champion defending the rights of minorities. Like that's 
that's where the fight is now where we need to stop homophobia <laughs> and i think yeah. i think it's actually a kind thing to call it capra-esque if you mean it good but I don't yeah know i agree good <laughs> but like he kind of gave it a compliment without realizing that he was oh, maybe he did giving it a, a huge compliment yeah and he still gave it three that's, stars it works three out of four, four. <laughs> three out of four which means that he likes it and recommends it great so uh, I think do do we want to watch? Do we dare watch the trailer for this movie? We can dare. Yeah, I say we do this. In the quiet town of Greenleaf, Indiana, a high school teacher is about to be married. After three long years, and I'm sure a lot of you were asking, what was the problem? You said it. <laughs> a former student is about to be honored, and the winner is. Cameron Drake to serve and protect. But for Howard Brackett. I'd like to dedicate this whole night to a great guy and a great teacher, to Howard Brackett from Greenleaf, Indiana. Oh a bombshell is about to drop. And he's gay. First I was afraid, I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never Howard, what is he talking about? I have no idea. I mean, I'm nobody. I'm just a little teacher in a little town. Oh, it's gonna be fine by tomorrow night. Hoo ha! We'll even remember. There he is. That's him, Mr. Brackett. Do you know Ellen? A teacher in trouble. A town under siege. Are you? What? Uh, home. Home. Homeroom teacher. Of course, the guy thinks you're gay. You're smart and well dressed. And really clean. And you're kind of prissy. Prissy? Welcome to our series on exploring your masculinity. Stand straight and tall. Truly manly men do not dance. Oh, come on! Mr. Brackett? Yes? Watch the hands. Paramount Pictures and Spelling Entertainment present a story about a man who was pronounced out. I may hire an attorney. I may sue. Get Johnny Cochran, not that woman. Before the jury was in. Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? You're our son and we'll always love you as long as you get married. I need some beauty and some music and some place cards before I die. It's like heroin. Kevin Klein, look at me. Do I look like a homosexual? Would, would, would you walk for me? In and out. Repeat after me. Yo. Yo. Hot damn. Hot damn. What a fabulous window treatment. What a fabulous window. That was a trick. What a fabulous window dressing. That was a trick. <laughs> That's such that a good a line, line reading. That was perfect line reading. Yeah, I... It it toes it toes the line of like it's either a comic misadventure movie or it's it's a satire. It's kind of hard to tell from the trailer. I know it's a comedy, mm-hmm. but I don't know what kind of comedy. But yeah. but kind of like Twilight, it um it kind of if you you were right when you were talking about it before, Rachel, where it's not marketed as he's actually gay. And so I wonder if that was intentional on on the part yeah. of the filmmakers to be like, we're going to get butts and seats no matter what. And in, yeah, like when you watch the tw- Twilight trailer, it just looks like a it looks kind of like an action movie with like a little bit of a love story mixed. in there. Yeah, he he even says in the in um, the the preview, I'm not gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so and it's like, like setting oh, up cool. the story of like, oh, well, let's just clear this up. Like that's going to be the conflict. Yeah. 
and then they, so and then I, oh that's oh that's brilliant too because basically um at the end of the preview uh he goes that was a trick <laughs> <laughs> that was a trick the whole trailer trick we tricked you. tricked you so would you would you guys say that this is like because of its subject matter and because of it having the 90s sheen in the first place being a very 90s movie the way that the breakfast club is a very 80s movie would we like nominate this as one of the emblem emblem films of 90s culture well actually ryan funny that you mentioned that because it's time for ryan and kelly and rachel's rom-com oscars um i actually have a an oscar that has to do with the 90s I think it might be okay. the most 90s movie on our list. It has the the easiness of something like Forrest Gump where it's like where like what we were talking about earlier, it's um it's it's so fun and so nice to watch and it really kind of shies away from the harder aspects of this story. Um, and because of that, it's, it's extremely pleasant and the cinematography is nineties. The writing is nineties. I don't know. It just screamed nineties to me. And so, yes, I am giving it most nineties. Most nineties. Okay. Rachel, what award would you give this movie? Any kind of award you want to give it? Oh gosh. I've heard you guys do this before and I was like, okay, I got to think about this and then completely (laughs) forgot to think about it. Um, okay. Uh, well, Ryan, what what do you have? Let's give Rachel a second to think. Yeah, give me a give me a second. Um, I would like to be contradicted in a future episode, but I want to say best Kevin Klein, and that's <laughs> wait, a challenge wait, to Kevin Klein and future Kevin Klein movies can, to I, be a I better a, Kevin Klein. I, okay, there's that. But what if somebody else? Can we give the best Kevin Klein award to a different actor? Yes, yes, <laughs> and that would be impressive if someone okay. can out Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. So here, here's the thing: we haven't watched any other Kevin Klein movies, so, so I know, obviously so, it's the best. No, I mean, so no, many, not in we, life. It just we for have. The podcast. Don't yeah. worry, we've seen a fish oh. called Wanda. Don't worry. Okay, okay, um, okay, okay. <laughs> but right, that's like saying you're my favorite child, and then the child saying I'm your only child. <laughs> I say that to mm. Theo every day. I say you're my favorite son, and he says, <laughs> and then he poops in my hand. Um, <laughs> I like would we would we watch a fish called Wanda on this podcast? Um, it, it's a romantic um, comedy. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Yeah, I don't I don't want to say it's a romantic comedy because I don't think of John Cleese that way. But yeah. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I'm eccentric. Um, <laughs> things have happened. Kevin Klein is one of my favorite performers because he has this persona that is so charming and. Like, I remember in junior high, I, like, saw a DVD of, like, yeah, I'd watch that, and it was Life as a House. Like, I was so not the target audience for Life as a House when it came out. And it's just, like, this nice drama about Kevin Klein dealing with his mortality. It's like, if it's got Kevin Klein in it, I'll check it out. And they're like, thanks, 14-year-old you. Did you like that? I love that movie. Yeah, I did. And it's got a very good Hayden Christensen performance. I know. One of the rare ones. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like... I did not want to... See it because that poor kid was in it, and I just loved him in that film. And he does a good job. And it can I go on a Star Wars tangent for a second? 
I mean, when will you not? Go ahead. (laughs) But it's just kind of astounding how, I'm sorry, he's not great in the Star Wars movies, but he's really great in other movies. Yeah. And she's like, what happened, guys? What happened? Am am I wrong? Is he a theater actor? I feel like he's a theater actor. Well, he is Canadian. Yeah, and they do, they (laughs) primarily do theater there, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do does toronto have does bc vancouver bc have a theater scene does toronto have well a they have a lot scene? better actors i think they do they've got a lot of actors anyways um, tangent over so uh, what's your favorite what's okay. your award okay i do have one yes. i know what it is i would give the oscar to best easter egg oh. in this movie what's oh the easter egg do you do you know what the Easter no. egg is? So, and it's funny that you mentioned A Fish Called Wanda. Oh. Because Kevin Klein won an Oscar for his role in A Fish Called Wanda. And they used that Oscar to be the Oscar that they oh, gave him that's at great. the end of the film. That's so oh. great. Now, is it is yeah. it best Easter egg because of the content or because it was so well hidden? Content. Yeah, it wasn't well hidden. <laughs> was, I want to zoom in now and see it. if there's a plaque on the Oscar that says Kevin Klein on it. Yeah, me too. See if That'd it's be awesome. actually there. Enhanced fifteen to twenty-three. Enhanced. It's such a nice moment when Matt Dillon's like, "Well, I got an award," and I'm like, "Let it be <laughs> the Oscar. So Let sappy. it be the. It's the Oscar." <laughs> of course. Oh man! Also, that hair, huh? Um, that that Matt Dillon hair that um, existed for some actors in all boy bands. That was a very Backstreet Boys look. That hair definitely deserved like a supporting role, yeah. like an Oscar nod at least. Because that was, yeah. If you're like, is this movie '90s? You're like, yeah. Oh, look at look that guy's hair. hair. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I liked Matt Dillon in this movie. But they're like, hot new thing played by Matt Dillon. I'm like, Matt Dillon? Maybe if it was 1983, he could play that role. But this was like, I don't know. I feel like Matt Dillon was pretty established. So persona-wise, that kind of like irked me. That It's just... so weird that this is his second movie. He's like, I've only been in two movies. And it's like, you feel like you've been in like 80 movies. <laughs> yeah, because like at that yeah. point, he was in There's Something About Mary, right? Yes. So he's, oh, yeah. Ooh. He was in that. He was in a bunch of Coppola movies in the 80s. It's just kind of like, no, you're not hot stuff. What are you talking about? The, the way Glenn Close introduces him, she's like, Cameron rocketed to stardom with courage and charisma, tackling the role of a brave gay soldier in the breakthrough film to serve and protect. They don't do that at the Oscars, which made it hilarious. Oh, did you catch? Oh, I loved every uh, all of the other actors yes. that were up for best actor. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the the twists on the names. Yes. This is Cameron's first nomination and he's in extremely good company. Tonight he joins fellow best actor nominees, Paul Newman for Coot. Clint Eastwood for Codger. Michael Douglas for Primary Urges. And Steven Seagal for Snowball in Hell. And the winner is... Perfect. And that should have tipped me off when I first watched it. Like, this is a satire. We're satirizing things. So another... You talked about this earlier, Rachel, but I want to know... 
if you were to be in a movie like this and like they're casting for a movie and it doesn't even have to be the same subject material, but they're saying it's going to be a satire in the vein of in and out. Cause you know, a lot of movies get pitched of like, Oh, it's going to be like this, but like this, but kind of mixed with this. And they're, they cast you and they're like, we want it. We want the style of performances to be kind of like in and out. How would you know the range of, okay, I got to go like really loud in my performance, but not, but still be believable. Like this, I feel like that's what this movie does so well. It's like the performances are really big, but I always buy it and it never gets over the top. So why do you, why do you think it's in that sweet spot? Um, I, my personal opinion, uh, hard peas with a microphone, just kind of feel like they echo. <laughs> oh yeah. That'll be fun later. <laughs> uh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> no, I'd um, have to do it for myself too. Um, I honestly believe that for a film to work like this one did, you need to have, you know, okay, I'm going to take like a side note real quick. I listened to this podcast called rom <laughs> Um I listened, <laughs> I listened to this uh, as an actor's podcast and um, the, this woman interviews uh, actors and um, one of the actors, like a young up and coming uh, kid, um, she's like, well, what's your goal? He's, and he's like, I want to be in the Marvel movies. Like, I want to be like a superhero. And she's like, okay, well, you know what you need for that, right? And he's like, what? And she goes, an Oscar. <laughs> you need an Oscar. Look at Robert Downey Jr. Look, look at Scarlett Johansson. Like, like, wait, does she have an Oscar? Oh crap, does she? Yeah, she does. <laughs> Anyways, um, you have to be that caliber of actor. You have to be that good. And so that's like part of it. Like, Joan Cusack is a national treasure. Like, She's Kevin so Klein is is one of the great actors of our time. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the Debbie. Like you just have you have like the A cast of all A casts in this sweet film. And then you also have this you have one of the what you how you informed me, actually, Ryan, the person that like created the idea for this film is one of the Hollywood's top producers of all time, mm-hmm. Scott Rudin. R- Rudin? Rudin? Rudin. Yeah. And and you have um writing that is way over the top and so well executed. So in order for a film like this to work, in order for for an actor to come in and for this to be successful, I feel like you need a great all-star team of a crew. You need great writing and you need phenomenal acting. And that's what I yeah. think. <laughs> I think, um, would you guys concur that this is a like in the satire firmly set in the satire genre satire rom-com and i I, we talked about this with they came together it's in like they came together is in the tradition of a mel brooks movie and i feel like mel brooks also yeah but i feel like mel brooks also pulls these kind of performances off that they're very big, wild performances, and yet we still believe that they're characters on screen, even if it's like someone like yogurt. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's we still buy it. <laughs> and I think that's th- yeah. that's the love we have here in, in this movie. Yeah, like, this movie loves this genre, um, and mm. so even if it's even if it is like kind of making fun of bits and pieces of it, um, like I mean, the ending is kind of straight out of 
a Goodwill Hunting, or I'm sorry, not Goodwill Hunting, um, Dead Poets Society, or like I mean, Robin Williams is coming out of like it just keeps every coming, yeah. it just keeps coming, um, or like a Mr. Holland's Opus kind of where yeah. like the teacher gets the respect that they deserved this whole time, and it's just that kind of moment. But this movie loves those moments so obviously, and that's I think what how how at least the um the editing and the direction takes care of that yeah yeah and you know it's interesting that you said that um because i have not seen they came together i like listened to your guys's like podcast on it and i was like i'm gonna watch clueless (laughs) (laughs) um but it it sounded like um well if we're gonna do like mel brooks mel brooks everything that he does comes from a you can tell that there's a hero you can tell that there's somebody that he loves and he cares about Mm -hmm. that he wants to defend and that he he wants to protect even if that he or she is like musical theater (laughs) like there is there is something that there's love i feel like my, my acting coach always says like actually his wife always says um find the love like where's the love and yeah this movie stemmed from a producer being like caring about somebody mm-hmm. and wondering, you know, if they're okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, was this an okay thing to do to somebody? Mm-hmm. What would it be like if this happened to somebody and it wasn't okay? How can we go from a place of love and, and tell that story? Yeah. And I yeah. think everyone involved, if, if it's all coming from love, uh, a, the movies, the product of the movies just brimming with it in the first place. Uh, B, that's why the audience is embracing it too, is that they need some love because the world is dark and shitty. And we, this is why mm. we champion rom-coms is because it's love and it's in this package and it can yeah. be very genuine. And that's, that's why Kelly and I hated They Came Together is that it was killing and hating on genuine love. And it's like, don't bash love. It's love. I'm going to love you back. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the movie. I, I'll have to. I do. I really should probably watch it before I bash on it myself. But it, from your guys's critique of it, it kind of felt like, you know, on social media when somebody like comment, like somebody does something nice and posts on like social media, and then somebody comments like, well, actually, I, like some snide remark, mm-hmm. and be like, they do it from like, well, I'm actually a lot smarter than you, and this is actually what's going on. Right. <laughs> it kind of feels like that film may have been a snide remark. Yeah. Oh, wow. Does that that is the most cutting remark I've ever heard about a film. That's very pithy. good. Perfectly Your movie pithy. is a snide remark, not a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, Ryan, you, you, you called the satire, and I agree, but I still think, and it's because Kevin Klein's performance reminded me a lot of Cary Grant. I think this movie oh, yeah. firmly rests in a screwball... Like at least as a like kind of a subgenre, it's so screwbally. Like if you think of yeah, I, I'm gonna going into I'm gonna Joe pause you. Like, I'm gonna say oh. you're right, and I'm gonna let you jump right back into it. His Girl Friday, like His Girl Friday is satirizing newspaper in the 40s, but sure. the characters are great. Okay, keep mm. going. <laughs> yeah, great example. That's yeah, good job. Yeah, well, I mean that was like basically you know all film. I had to say. No, no, say more. You you were I'm I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You had more. No, no, it's okay. I, I mean. Basically, like you just have all these moments like um, Kevin Klein when he's like really trying to figure out what to do and like whether to go through with the wedding or not. He like goes to see that priest and that priest is like, 
you know, sometimes you just got to have sex before marriage to figure things out. And then you must goes, go to her. <laughs> yeah, you must be with her. Know her biblically. Um, and then he goes and he tries to do that. But then Richard Simmons is there and it's just such a ah, 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 and it's going from place to place to place. And then he goes and listens to that tape and it, it lives at this speed that Rachel was talking about that I, I we so rarely get screwball comedies these days. And so you're right. It is it is a kind of a dark and shitty time right now. And it was so good to watch a movie that was just so screwball. Um, mm, yeah. Oh, crap. What was my thought? I had such a good thought to comment on that. And this is why we can edit our podcast so I can just we can just. Was it regarding the speed oh. or the timing? Uh, oh, 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 no, I got um, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The the first watch through, I had missed a lot of comedy because of my preconception of what the film was, and so when she's in her dress fitting at the beginning of the movie, and Kevin Klein is walking around her, and just the way he's looking at the dress, he has this connoisseur's face of just hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Very tasteful. And Very. I completely missed it the first time because I wasn't Man, I, looking for it. <laughs> it's so funny because I had like the exact opposite experience with it. <laughs> that What do you mean? That you caught everything and I was a dum-dum watching it the first time? What I mean, mean? I, that's the, not not my words, your words. But um, <laughs> to me, it seems like the, the movie was like very heavily winking and leaning at me and being like, you know what's going on here. Yeah, I feel... I, I feel foolish. But, but if you didn't, if you didn't get it, that's not like against. That's not uh, the fault of your own because I think the movie was also trying to do that. I think it was also trying to like, like you said, ride this line. Well, I and this is why people who say, "Oh, I only watch movies once," I'm just going, "Ah, there are so many good movies you've missed because you watched mm. it the first time, but you didn't know what it was. Then you watched it the second time, yeah. and you realize because I went back and I saw on IMDb." I rated it six out of 10 and I was like, Ryan, <laughs> six out of 10, you meanie. And I think it's because at the time I just thought it was a sitcom episode. I thought I was like, oh, it's just a comedy, but a like misunderstanding. And I didn't get the ending. <laughs> like it was just like, you doofus. And I well, went back and recorrected my IMDb rating or I should have. And good. I probably did it on Letterboxd too. It's like, no, 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 no. This is brilliant. Well, I mean, Ryan, it's okay. You're showing it a lot of love now, which is important, but you can you know how you can show it some more love how by telling us who you'd fall in love with oh nice transition smooth criminal um get it get it (laughs) 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 you can edit that one out please please edit that one out i'm actually just gonna put i'm gonna isolate that and put that after everything (laughs) ryan and i say (laughs) 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 it'll be part of our intro for every episode who would Ow. I fall? Okay, Kelly, you go first. Who would you fall in love with? No, Rachel, you go first. Who would you fall in love with? <laughs> uh, it was. It, uh, I had weird feelings for everybody in this film. Um, uh, you know, it, it's hard not to fall in love with uh, Tom Selleck and and Kevin Klein in this film. But I think I don't know why, but I keep going back to him. Is his brother Walter? Oh, okay. When to Walter us about stands that. up, Walter's very sweet. There's something, well, like, that was the thing is that it was the, I think it was the moment, like, I was attracted to everybody in this film, but <laughs> Apparently. when, when all the kids stand up and the teachers tell them to sit back down, and even, like, one teacher, like, calls one of the students, like, I know you're not gay, you're a tramp, yeah. Oh, yeah. and, and you just, you can feel it in the room, 
like, oh, they're not going to win. And then Walter stands up. And at first, when 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 he's like, I don't have a problem that he's gay. And they're like, yeah, 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 but you're his brother. And he goes, oh, well, you know what that means? I must be gay. And it's like the the it opened up the door for everybody to come to the children's rescue and also to um, Howard's rescue. Mm-hmm. And that was just such a like that moment. I was like, I will marry you. I will divorce my husband. I love you. You get it. Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> but that was uh, well, that was such a. Sorry? You're just going to have to distract him at this point in time in the podcast if he listens to it. Yeah, <laughs> we won't let him know. Don't worry. What a fabulous window treatment! <laughs> what? Um, okay, Kelly, who would you fall in love with? Um, okay, well, I like Joan Cusack's spirit, but not Joan Cusack. Um, sh- definitely not Matt Dillon. Definitely not Matt Dillon's girlfriend. Um, I'm a supermodel. Um, I'm Sonia. I- <laughs> Sonia, I think. Okay, I'm I'm actually torn between Kevin Klein and Tom Selleck because Kevin Klein is much more like me, where you know he likes books and poetry and such things, but but man, Tom Selleck is just so freaking handsome in this movie. Against my better judgment, I'm going to say Tom Selleck. (laughs) I love that. You know, I was so in love with him. I felt I love that part in the movie where he just goes, I'm gay. You know what you need? And then like they kiss. Plants a big smacker on him. It's good. There's something so wonderful about, I think, especially in the 90s was watching. um, What like uh, Tu Wong Fu watching the the manliest men of the time period, like high profile men, high profile men being like, this is okay, Mm -hmm. this is safe, this is beautiful, enjoy this. I love that. (laughs) I love watching the manliest man uh, shave off his mustache and say. I'm going to plant a big one on Kevin Klein. I mean, I, I got to imagine that's Kevin Klein being like, look, I'll kiss you. I just can't deal with the stash. It's too big. There's, the you can't get past it. <laughs> oh, do you think that's why he's mustacheless in that Friends that's episode in season three? Oh, no. Yeah, maybe. Because he was filming. Uh, and they didn't have the technology sense. like they did with Henry Cavill and Superman. To, yeah, like, they, couldn't, back on they couldn't CGI a mustache yeah. on there. And you would never put a fake mustache on Tom Selleck. No, I mean, I think that's against his religion. You see, right? religion. No, it's probably yeah. in his contract. Probably, like either, well, I mean, that too. either let me have a real mustache or no fake mustache. Um, I do my own butt work and I don't wear <laughs> fake mustaches. I'm going to go with Tom Selleck as well. Because if it was Kevin Klein, he would just want to watch Barbara Streisand movies all day. And I'm like, that's cool. But I feel like Tom Selleck would want to go to an action movie every once in a while. I feel like. Oh, for sure. I feel yeah. like we'd we probably get along just a little bit more. But like Kevin Klein's like a sliver under Tom Selleck, just like right there. Yeah. And Tom Selleck, uh what was Tom Selleck's character's name? Uh oh, yeah, Peter he said Malloy. It. Yeah. He's Peter Malloy. Good name. Yeah. yeah. Um he's like much more of a like, look, we're gonna go do this. I'm gonna push you out of your comfort zone. We're gonna go have life. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go live it. And then you're like, Yes, okay. Tom Selleck, Malloy, let's do this. 
And I love the the look that they give each other when they're dancing at the end of the movie at his parents' wedding. And they mm. just they kind of like do that look and smile and they're like, well, all right. I don't know. Who knows where this night's going? <laughs> yeah. It will be. Uh, uh. A couple stray ob- observations. One is I love that jo- Joan Cusack goes out of the bar and screams, is everybody gay? And the end of the movie is- Foreshadowing. Yes, they are. Yes. yes. Yeah, uh-huh. that's pretty good. They are all gay. It also reminded me of that moment in As Good As It Gets when uh, Helen Hunt is like, why can't I have a normal boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah. like one of those things that plays really good in trailers. Uh, I, yes. had, I had a bigger question, though, and I don't know how to phrase it, so forgive me if I if this found, sounds offensive, but it's interesting that you have movies like In and Out um, or Tu Wong Fu where it's like, okay, we're starting out on the baseline of this heteronormative perspective, and we're going to bring in this like outside thing of, hey, there are characters like Howard. What's his name? In, right, Kevin Klein's Howard Braxton, Braxton, mm. right? Bracket. Yeah. Um, Bracket. Who's XYZ and there's a type to him and we're going to bring in this type and you're just going to be okay with the type. And I feel like me growing up, like I knew about in and out and the, you know, the trailer was like, well, there's some people who have these characteristics, therefore gay. And it just kind of like, for me growing up in conservative households, not getting other outside perspectives, not seeing actual films like Tu Wong Fu, like those wouldn't be watched in my house, so I wouldn't actually get the the perspective. But it's kind of like, is it is it still? I feel like it's not saying lots of different people are gay. It's saying this type of person is gay, and like that's the only kind of person you'll encounter. And like that wasn't my experience when I actually met other people in high school and junior high and at work, where I was like. It's, they're not going to just fit these characteristics. You know what I'm getting at? Well, you're, you're, yeah, you know, he is oh, a bit of a, a sorry. Uh, I, I would say that his character is a bit of a stereotype. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to speak to middle America or not. But I don't know. Rachel, do you have something to add? No, there was, I think uh, uh, Paul Rudnick uh, was attempting to do something so did you guys know two months before I think this they wrote this film, Ellen came out? Oh no, but there is that line. Do you know Ellen? Yeah. And that was that that was I think that was a love note to her because at that point she lost a career. She didn't know what was gonna happen mm. in her life. Like everything was going very, very badly. And um I don't know, to say that, like, do you know do you know Ellen? Is like there there's this there's a stigma to, like there's we can only see this in black and white. I know that my the people that are going to watch this, the majority of them are only going to be able to see it in two colors. Mm. So I, 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 and this is me being presumptuous. I think at the time, I mean, the AIDS pandemic had just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it for it, it was very dangerous time to be somebody who was gay in this country. I mean. Up until two months before they made this film, it would cost you your career right. and your livelihood. So I think that it, even though this was a satire and this was very, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Klein was a very 
particular man, um, I, I think that it was done with a lot of delicacy and a lot of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of intent behind that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If yeah. if they made a movie like this today, what do you think it? How do you? How different would it be? Do you think what would change about it for today's culture? Well, it'd probably be a, an action somebody who was who was gay. <laughs> I think representation is missing in this film. Right. That's <laughs> oh, I mean, on multiple <laughs> across levels. the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the um, the idea of a fish out of wa- I mean it's not really a fish out of water tale it's it's like um, like wanting to stay in the place you are comfortable but um, worried that this place won't be comfortable if you are who you really are um, is it's it's going to be one of those stories that kind of can be retold about different aspects of generally like. different aspects of our culture that are generally um, a minority to the majority of, I don't know, what the entire culture is made up of. Sorry, I'm really bumping in the sentence that I'm trying to construct. (laughs) But um, I I think we're going to keep telling a story like this until, like, our culture is extremely accepting of everybody. Yeah, until it becomes our... Yeah, until it becomes like our language. Yeah. Until we understand how to speak the language, it's going. We're going to have to continue these, you know, writing these stories so people can learn how to talk. Um, I think it's. I haven't seen it. I really, really want to. I only have so many like um platforms for which to watch things on. Have you guys seen Love Simon? Not yet. I really want to. Looked so good. I have a suspicion that it's it's that same. It's on that same vine. Because it's set in high school. And like mm-hmm. having that space as the space to change your identity mm-hmm. instead of small town. Yeah. Yeah. But more appropriate to our current um, time. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, cause you know, in, uh, I don't know how old Theo will be when he wants to watch, you know, rom-coms like this, but we'll totally watch it. <laughs> well, out. he's going to be five because <laughs> you're going to force it down his throat no matter what. <laughs> but We'll watch it, and it'll be interesting that I'll have to, like, explain, like, well, in the 90s, like, I will, I will have to explain the climate, the political climate, because he'd be like, what's the big deal? Because I feel like that was the our attitude in high school when the debate of legalizing gay marriage was going around, that our generation, our attitude was, why not? What's the big deal? Isn't that insane? Sorry to cut you off. I'm sorry. Isn't no, that no, we're, we're having a guys, conversation. <laughs> when we would have debate, that yeah. was, I think that was like that was a debate that we would have in class. Like yeah, it, it was, was in public debate. speaking. I remember. Yeah. And any of the cultural, there's so there's such a specific cultural attitude being worked out in in and out, and it's very 1997. And mm. we grew up in the 90s, and so we just kind of know like the timeline of like, okay, we're still many years away from federal gay marriage. Like maybe it was legal in some states in the 90s. I don't know the timeline, um, but we just like I remember there was the switcheroo at the end where. Tom Selleck's in a tux, Kim Klein's in a tux. And for a second, you're like, is it their marriage? But then in, in the back of my head, it's like, could be, but not no, from No, because like Prop 8 movie. was still going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the I Hollywood mean, wasn't doing that yet. They're, they oh, would, I guess they're not in California for some reason. But they were going, like, that's the thing. Hollywood had this attitude, right? Where it's like, it's going to go so far, but they're not going to be so 
outray mm. and say, oh, and then they're getting married. I feel like there's some kind of like standards department of like, oh, you can't do that. Like you can do this, but you can't do that. Well, it isn't. I feel like that. I feel that would have been historically inaccurate at that point in time, because I think that struggle, like even though he's accepted by his town, like. Right. And that kind of points out like we all accept him and, you know, he's an equal, but he can't get married. (laughs) Like there's these truths that they're like, oh, still can't deal with that. And that's probably if you like going back to that question of like, what, how would this movie change? Like what would be different? That's definitely like obviously the end of this movie would have them getting married yeah mm-hmm. we're kind of writing a movie as we're we're speaking oh um, you know what this means like oh what kelly and ryan and rachel rewrite a movie you write your first draft with your heart and you rewrite with your head having um the first gay marriage in a small town that would be a really fun movie for like all of the reasons why I don't know it 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 just again it just kind of writes itself like this town having probably a diverse amount of opinions on this subject and setting it in like 2000 like 11 or 12 that would be a fun wedding rom-com is this struggle for the town to put it on and you would you would that's what you would do you would set it in a weird conservative town like this indiana town um and it would be it would almost be like a sequel to in and out <laughs> that it's like okay kevin klein and tom Selleck can get married now it's legally allowed so now we're gonna get we're gonna just roll up to that next step of equality is like they actually can get married now and like getting you know whatever priest on board to actually do the marrying and all that different stuff so yeah i, I agree let's break that movie Okay. Um, I I do I do think as far as we come, and I've mentioned this on other pods, I would like to see more of this um what's the word? More conversation like this happen, and this is so specialized for me and my identity as a Christian, is that I, I still need this to be worked out in the Christian church because I still feel like there's still so much that needs to be done um for gay rights in the church um and like we all went to religious schools here i think like kelly they couldn't they when you were at whitworth like it was my year that they allowed pride club finally at whitworth right that would have been your freshman year i think yeah yeah and it was i mean it was technically i think at first it was a gay straight alliance is what we were aiming for but then we ended up changing it to lb lgbtq specific club yeah. yeah and so i i still think as far as we've come i feel like in the christian community that you have like the liberal christian community that's on board but there's still struggle with the conservative side of it and i identify as moderate and i think we still have a lot to figure out and i would like to see a in and out crossed with a saved movie of some kind of intersection mm. of and only saved gets away with this christian satire but some kind of satire of how the church is also dealing with it because yeah i feel like it's still a struggle yeah yeah i remember because uh, i went to george fox um and i remember the lgbtq bus coming and uh uh 
I had these two professors. They're like my favorite people on the planet. And um, what the girl that I was uh, hosting was talking to them. And at one point, they, they, they started having an argument, not like a, an angry argument, but basically a, a disagreement between religious texts, like between like something that was in the Bible. And she's like, oh, I think it interprets this way. And they're like, no, not that way. And it kind of got to this point where she says, like, you have to stop thinking that who I am is bad. And my professor um, said, well, I don't understand why you can't have your beliefs as a Christian and I have my beliefs as a Christian and we walk in love side by side. And she goes, because that's the problem. You're using love to, as a wall. Mm, yeah. <laughs> You're not letting me in. <laughs> <laughs> and you're using that for the wrong reasons. And I thought that that was so interesting. And I think that would be like a really, it is a conversation that I think needs to start, like just even in the most loving circles, which I was in at the time, uh, those two professors are just the kindest people. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that um, a conversation needs to happen. And maybe it is through satire. <laughs> Um, I think I love the the saved reference. Yeah. yeah. I I remember one of our professors um and one of our students actually having a debate about that and um I think the the best um I I guess it's it's more of just like a catchphrase now but um that love needs to override theology mm. because a lot of the times um like uh this particular professor would get hung up on the text of an issue rather than the intent of that text and interpreting interpreting a text to mean like x equals something we're afraid of thus it's not allowed um and so uh interpreting it more abstractly um and having like love and acceptance override like strictness of of laws and that that gets into like addendums to theology and I, i'm not here to talk about that because i haven't studied theology in years but but saved that got spread around campus like wildfire like that was like suddenly all of a sudden like all of these thoughts started sparking up with that i mean did you guys you guys went to a christian college we were just talking about it for the last 10 minutes yeah. but like <laughs> that was such an interesting film to suddenly be like okay well here's our beliefs um, <laughs> here's this like wackadoodly like teenage film and it kind of it it changed people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, a little bit. I mean, that's I mean the best the best satires do right. It's all about altering. It's just like okay, you're seeing it from this perspective. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give it to you from a perspective of an outsider just a little bit. And um, I think that's why subtle satire is kind of the best. Like, cause you can get super silly with satire in this movie, but it still isn't like. It isn't saying you have to think this way. It's like, have you ever thought about it this way? This way. And, and like, it, it might be a little insidious, but it's insidious in, I think, a very positive way. Yeah. Well, I I am daring any filmmaker to try it. Make Please make an in and out times saved equals whatever movie you would make. I'd be very curious to see if you can pull it off because that would be yeah. a great thing. So. I'm glad that you guys really love this. Oh movie. yeah, I was. We didn't get to it. We didn't get to it. But like, um, cinematically, uh, you guys always talk about. I know we probably got to go soon. But like, you guys always talk about, uh, you know, the framing and like all of that stuff. 
Well, I mean, this, you know, all that, this all, all that stuff. I mean, this movie is just like so cut and dry, well made. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not trying to do anything special, but like it abides by all the correct rules. It's lit impeccably like lots of 90s movies just seem to be. I don't know. I don't know what so many filmmakers have forgotten or like whether we're just trying to be so gray and stylized these days but there's something so warm about the light of this movie and everything's framed up perfectly i don't know i had no complaints like it was it's almost like a soundtrack just going right over your head because it's so well um like goes along with what you're seeing on screen okay here's what it is i'll get real technical um so frank oz did um dirty rotten scoundrels great comedy he did what about bob um he did this and i when i think about all those movies they're just great comedies with great comedic leads and i think about the experience of those movies and like there are certain shots that stand out to me like when we first meet steve martin in dirty rotten scoundrels and just michael Caine's presence like he has a presence in dirty rotten scoundrels and it's the same thing with what about bob that bill murray just is the movie it's just a bill murray experience and i think that's what frank oz is so good at is that you don't think about like oh wasn't this sequence genius or anything like that you just come out of the movie theater being like ah like it just it's like going to the spot like you leave and it just it just is in your heart and you just feel like you just feel so good. And that's what a good comedy does. It's like the Larry Bird of uh, romantic comedies. Like <laughs> he just knows exactly how to like line the, the court up and get, you know, and pass the ball and shoot it. And like all of those things. And he always squares up right to the basket every time. Executes it perfectly. <laughs> Do you think Frank Oz loves working with comedians because he was the voice of Fozzie and he's just waka, like, waka. look, I, I get you guys. <laughs> go, go, go. Hey, hey folks. This is a story you're going to love to hear. Good grief, the comedians are back. What you said here? Also, do you know Frank Oz is still working? He's like, he's still voicing Yoda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was on uh, he was on Rebels. His voice is getting really gravelly, though. He sounds nothing like Empire Strikes Back Yoda. He's like, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you ever go see people oh, who are like, it's really good at singing in the 80s and you go watch their concerts now. and Right, like... Huey Lewis is way lower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just fun. I, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share this story, but it was a very sweet story. Frank Oz directed an episode of Leverage, which was filmed. The te- television Portland. show was filmed in Portland. You, have you? Did you guys hear the story? Do you know? No. This? No. Rattle it off. Um. So he directed an episode of Leverage, and obviously, most of the crew was from Portland, and because we're Portland and we're weird. And also because it's Frank Oz, the entire crew was very respectful, didn't say anything like, but also it was like everybody was super psyched out. <laughs> like they're just like, it's Frank Oz, it's Frank Oz. <laughs> and after the shoot and I, um, after they, they finished the last scene, Frank Oz goes, okay, everybody, come here. Everybody gather around, turn your cameras off. Nobody record this. What impression? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then like just for like ever like he just did impressions of all of their favorite characters oh my been. gosh like like you're you're basically cementing yourself as golden in everybody's hearts mm-hmm. if you're frank oz yeah. and you're doing that at the end of every shoot did you oh, guys God. see um did you yeah. guys see knives out no oh yet. my goodness okay oh my 
Goodness. I, I don't ruin anything. Well, that it's, it's movie. Like, uh, okay, I won't ruin anything. We're actually watching it tomorrow night. He has so a really. Excited. He just has a small role, and I'm gonna. I, I think you should know this. He has a small role, and it doesn't like. It, that won't affect the story, but he has a small role, okay. and in the theater, he shows up, and just Ryan in the theater goes, huh! <laughs> just because it's, it's because <laughs> it's Frank Oz, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Frank Oz, and Sarah's like, what? I'm like, that- it's Yoda. <laughs> Yoda <laughs> and I guffawed because in my head I was actively tracking. Okay, how does Ryan John? Of course, Ryan Johnson knows Frank Oz because Yoda is in Star the Wars. Last Jedi, and that was yeah. directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, why yes. I knew that he was cast because Ryan Johnson always likes to work with the same people and over again. He's that kind of director, and he would just be like, "Hey, you should be in my mystery movie." Six Degrees from Frank Oz is one of my favorite games to play. I have an anecdote to that too. I too was in Knives Out. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I was a Selma Blair knives out. Um, <laughs> so, no, we actually went to a SAG after screening, or I guess actually, a, yeah, SAG after screening of the film, and it just so happened it's there's a this in Los Angeles there are the two these two theaters that are just across the street from each other, and uh, Knives Out cast actually did their screen like their screening of the film the same night. And so they did their like their red carpet and did all stuff. So they're all in their ball gowns and tuxedos and everything. And then they went immediately after their red carpet appearance and did a Q&A for us afterwards oh, at the so SAG cool. screening. And so uh, with with the union, there's like rules when you do a, a screening in a, in a Q&A. You're not supposed to like ask for autographs. You're not supposed to like go up on stage. You know, you just be a respectful actor and, and, and don't don't do that. And um, when the entire cast came out, uh, I noticed like I wasn't I was paying attention to the cast and all of a sudden I saw this guy and he just like was running up on stage with his camera and is like taking pictures of everybody and and doing like videos and like getting back, like running back. And I was like, that guy is such a. Oh, that's the director. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's Ryan. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he was such a, he was geeking out. He was so happy. The entire cast was just like geeking out at each other. It was so adorable. Uh, they were so cute. Was Karina Longworth there? Which one was she? She's a Ryan Johnson's She's girlfriend, wife? Wife? Oh, I don't know. And she does the You Must Remember This podcast. Yeah. Which I oh. highly recommend. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Do you listen to that? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's Ryan Johnson's lady. I didn't know that. I I listened to the whole. Um, oh, does she do the one with uh, the Manson family? Yeah, that's one of the best. That was great. Yeah, just, oh, that was a good piece of journalism. She's covering. Uh, everyone should listen to this. I've only listened to the first couple episodes, but she's doing a series on Polly Platt. And oh, nice. She's Polly Platt is a very important figure, starting in the 1970s, but is influenced on films in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. Polly Platt worked on bottle rocket mm. we talked about yeah rachel and i were talking about that the other day of scott rudin being the blank check writer for wes anderson movies which yeah is- i i got really confused about a lot of uh producers sometimes their names i get confused and i a long time ago ryan had told me about polly platt and i decided that he was telling me about a story about scott rudin <laughs> 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 Back when he had dinner with Scott Rudin. Yes, that happened. <laughs> I, I 
I was about to say I wish I had a dinner with Scott Rudin, but given everything I've heard about Scott Rudin, maybe not. <laughs> Other yeah. than just giving the money to make movies, and Scott Rudin produced In and Out, so he's been, he's been very important in in the films that get made. But he yeah. sounds like a controversial figure. Anyways, do yeah. we have any other closing thoughts in this lovely film? I gotta wrap up because I gotta go start. Um, I'm, I'm making kind of a bigger dinner tonight, and um, it's four fifteen here, so I gotta go start on that. Um, so okay. I'm gonna ask you, Rachel, uh, where can people find you? Okay, you can find me in Los Angeles. Please don't stalk me. <laughs> you don't have to give the um, address out. That's fine. Okay, it is no. Well, that um, is cool stuff. <laughs> you, I'm on the social media platforms, RachelPerelFoskett.com. Rachel Perolfoske nice. at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, not Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see Matt just listening like, please, please, please. Not Tinder. Yes. yes. Not LinkedIn. Yes. Not Tinder. Good. <laughs> do, do either of you have LinkedIn? Uh, I, yeah. I have LinkedIn because I have a day job that's not like not just pure entertainment, oh. but is a job job. I deleted mine about a year ago. It felt so good. I thought I did. I still get emails though. Obviously, Me too. I'm not. I, I, I can't. I can't stop them. I don't know how. Yeah, no. So I don't really think I've actually left LinkedIn. I think that um, you can never leave LinkedIn. No, I think so. Yeah. I do have fun looking at LinkedIn, um, looking at the jobs that exist in Beverly Hills. I'm like, ooh, production coordinator at Stars. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't have companies like that in Portland. I'm sure it's very base, very basic in LA. Just all the different entertainment companies and yeah. just jealous but. oh you guys should come this way then oh we will you, eventually yeah yeah do you guys still do the thing i know you can't go to coffee shops anymore but do you guys still go to uh do you still do your morning writing sessions well no. uh the baby <laughs> came and then the pandemic happened and um at that point so what time, you like don't have time or something well yeah it was mainly that uh, robin uh, was going to go see her mom and we needed to quarantine and then we didn't know when that was going to happen and so ryan mm. like we haven't hung out in person very much or like probably we've seen kelly once in the past f- five months yeah it sucked once so but um now that that's changing we're gonna we'll probably we'll, we'll have some mornings to meet right uh it's so hard when you're taking care of a five-month-old that's okay i'll just come help take care of the five-month-old and we'll watch the show please together. yeah <laughs> please you, kn- take you, my kid. you know that that's gonna happen yeah it is so hard to i was just complaining to sarah about this of writing requires undivided attention and you can't have undivided attention with a baby it's unless someone is dedicated to whisking them away i mean rachel to be honest it's hard to have undedicated or undivided attention when ryan's in the room and you're writing too so because mm. we're always like you know that part in that movie do you think i can get away with that in my story <laughs> and then the next half an hour is not writing time anymore oh, okay um, so it's much more like uh just hanging out time that you call writing time so how do how do lightsabers work let's really break this down um, <laughs> well, it cauterizes the wound, really. So there shouldn't be blood. Um, oh, wow, I never thought of that. <laughs> okay, guys, I gotta go. So, Ryan, where can people okay. find us? <laughs> uh, people can find us uh, at Romcom Gents on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and write us at the email address that Kelly's gonna say <laughs> romcomgents at gmail.com. And yeah. feel free to let us know if you 
loved what we said, if we missed something that you really, really loved about the movie, and you're like, why didn't you talk about that? That was an amazing part. Let us know. Maybe we'll we'll put you on the air. Uh, so I think we have a reader response this week. We have a we have an email, do we not? Yeah, it's our first, our inaugural email. Um, yes. Lauren Bellinger, thank you so much for writing in. She wrote a lot and it was all very cool and intelligent, but she was mainly responding to us saying that Twilight is becoming or is a staple of the YA genre and will continue to be that way. Um, uh, she, like I said, she wrote a lot, but to sum it up, she says that Twilight will probably have a place in pop culture history because it's overwhelming success in bookstores and movie theaters, but she personally can't look back on it fondly because of the predatory nature of the romance that we're supposed to love. Uh, any, any response to that, Ryan? I, I think I, I'm curious. I'm yeah, we'll see. (laughs) only time will tell because like it's like a problematic romance kind of are we going to use the words problematic of sure i mean it is it is initially very problematic it's problematic mainly because he's a vampire and they're bloodsuckers and even though he's an and that's what makes him an interesting character is he's a nice bloodsucker but he does have boundary issues Sure. It's it's yeah. weird how things kind of backslide because you have your different waves of feminism where it's like never again will we subject ourselves to, you know, characters that behave like this that your um Heathcliffs are done away with or, you know, whoever of, you know, the history of problematic male leads and they keep coming up. So I just wonder if like Edward's going to look tame compared to like a weird backslide for some future generation where it'll be the exception. It'll not be the new normal. It'll just be like, ah, I thought we moved past this guys <laughs> where, well, I, I would like to, I would like to point out that characters in and of themselves being flawed in that way is to me as a viewer of fiction, very interesting because like if you take Heathcliff, yeah, he locked his wife up in an attic and no, that's also Mr. Rochester. Kind of just, Oh yeah, that's Mr. Rochester. What's up with Heathcliff again? I don't know. I didn't read that one, but I did read Jane Eyre. Okay. Rochester's well, little uh, it, but the whole point of the Byronic hero is that you're like, yeah, you're kind of dirty, but I like you for it. Yeah, I I feel like a character can find time to be redeemed um, by the end of a story where they're not perfect and they don't take all the right actions, but they can still be a lead character that we champion even if they are yeah there's flawed and then there's predatory and i think that's where lauren's coming in and saying it's like you can be flawed Mm -hmm. but predatory is where i cross the line or where it crosses the line for me yeah and i think you know he's uh he's 100 years old and sometimes as is the case with a lot of uh fictional characters who become a certain age their morals are just a little different than ours Mm um like you know and somebody who who might um, forego that? Uh, like, are like the best. The best of the immortals might be the Doctor, who um, you know still crosses the line every once in a yeah, while. Yeah, but either way, I think you and I are kind of like in agreement of like probably not a role model for ourselves or for our our future children to look up to your uh, Edward Collins. No, but I would say the same of Bella too, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you responded in an email to Laura and you're like, I don't know why they like each other. <laughs> but 
again, morbidly curious. I'm going to watch the yeah, second we'll one see, when we have to. We'll see so. how their chemistry goes. Okay. Well, so anyway, Lauren, thank you so much for that like extremely measured and well thought out response. We mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, okay. Uh, what are we watching next week? I don't know. Oh, wait, no. I tell you that. Yeah, you tell You me. just give me a number. Um, we have 165 movies on the list, Ryan. So many movies to watch. Goodness. Okay. What do you need from me? Uh, you can either roll a die or you can give me a number between one and that number I just said. I'm going to go with one. Why? Why not? It's going to be the number one movie of all time. I think it will. It's Hitch! Hitch! Put the arms. Put the arms at 45. Dance back and forth. Dance back and forth. I'm dancing too. Oh, yeah. You can't see me, Oh yeah. I'm dancing with Will Smith. I love that movie. Well, next week, uh, we're going to have to... We're going to have to take our Benadryl just in case we get an allergic reaction from this mm-hmm. one like somebody else mm-hmm. did. But I don't think so. I think it's going to I think it's going to live up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, OK, guys, it's about time I came out and said this, but I love you. I love, I love you. you so much. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on A Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. Macho ma- Oh, fun fact. The Macho Man song? Yeah. By, you know, those, uh, crap. Thank you. Uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yes. So they tried to get the rights for it, and the village people were like, "No, you cannot. <laughs> no, sorry, absolutely not." And then, um, so they actually recorded like uh, with like, like a cover band or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they sent the movie to. Um, I guess it feels weird to say the village people. I don't think that's actually legally like the people that they sent it to. But they saw it, and they like once they saw the film, they're like. Oh, yeah, you can have the song. It's fine. <laughs> That's weird because Mike Myers definitely gets away with it in Wayne's World 2. Is it, is it Macho Man? Or they do, what do they do? No, they do YMCA in that. Wait, YMCA. What do they do? You know what t- part I'm talking about in Wayne's World 2? I haven't seen Wayne's World 2 since it first came out. Rachel? I've only, I've only seen Wayne's World a billion times. But not Wayne's World 2 a billion times? Um, I love Wayne's World so much. That I am terrified of watching the sequel. Oh. I I love Wayne's World so much. <laughs> Me too. That I am so scared of watching the sequel. I think you I need to just weird. give in to your fear and just turn off your expectations. Be like, I'm just going into this Mike Myers movie. See what happens. Okay. Just, just do it. I remember when I was young, like I did see it, but there was like certain things that really um, were not okay. For example, I don't know why, but for some reason, um, Garth not ending up with um, uh, his dream woman. Honey Hornet. I love you. <laughs> oh, from from the first one. I love you, dream I love woman. You, dream woman. <laughs> <laughs> like seeing that he was like with like another person, I was like, what is going on here? I don't care if they're perfect for each other. This is not okay. <laughs> and my 
my delicate little way. That's how I feel about a lot of rom-com sequels where the first Mm. rom-com is there. The main protagonist gets the guy or girl on the end. And then the second one's like, well, we broke up. So now I'm going to have this other person. (laughs) And it just kind of defeats the whole heroism of the first one. Yeah. Yeah. It really breaks it. And it breaks people's hearts, especially people that truly love. Yeah. How dare you filmmakers? (laughs) Yeah. 